to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you decided to hand over in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are all witnesses and his name, by faith in his name, made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the, foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to, to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed God having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. So today, <laughs> I think it's amazing that we're diving into chapter three, looking at verse 11 through 26. So honest question for you guys, and or everyone, not just the guys, but I do give the guys permission to answer this for their wives, okay? Here's my question. How many of you take pride in the fact that you are a bargain shopper? Don't be ashamed of it. Who is a bargain shopper? You can find a good deal anywhere, right? 
You're proactive, looking for the best deals. And even if you don't, don't need it, there's this possibility in the future that you may need it, right? And the price is so good, you just cannot pass it up. Now, my wife will not let me watch infomercials. She won't allow it. She turns it off of an infomercial. Come on. Here's why. Because I buy everything. Now, let me defend myself a little bit, okay, and build a case here. The Thighmaster, it originally went for $19.99. Now it sells for $79.99. I'm glad I bought it when I did, okay? Have I used it? Not yet. It's in my storage room. But I got it for $19.99, not $79.99. So Liz, I'm glad I bought the Thighmaster. How about the Snuggie? Come on. <laughs> There's only one Snuggie, let me tell you. How about the Total Gym? Liz refuses to let me buy that one. I keep telling her, I will use it every day. I will get sculpted. I will be chiseled. I'll look good. She won't let me buy the Total Gym. Showtime Rotisserie, come on. That was a good one. But here's my favorite one, the Potty Putter. I don't know if any of you guys remember that, but... If you haven't made it to the golf course for weeks, no problem. Because with the potty putter, you can practice your putt anytime you sit on the john. It was incredible. I'll tell you what. I will tell you that. Because there is no place like the toilet to become a, a golf pro. So, Tim Bubnick, wherever you are, I got a Christmas present for you, buddy. How about, do you guys remember the shake weight? <laughs> I'm really embarrassed to say, but I bought that one too. This was before Liz, that, that weight that vibrates and supposedly it shapes and tones your upper body and you just have to hold it for six minutes a day. You're going to look like this professional bodybuilder. It doesn't work when you're eating Krispy Kremes at the same time. <laughs> and it ain't a pretty sight. How about the slap chop? Last one, slap chop. You know, stop having boring tuna salad. Stop having a boring life. You can chop your vegetables, fruits, eggs, nuts, and other healthy foods with the slap chop, and you can make America skinny again. That was their slogan. I had the slap chop. That's something I had in college, too. And, and uh, I'm embarrassed to say I'd actually put a bunch of different candies in there, and it works the same. <laughs> so it was like... It was amazing. Anyway, all that to say, did you know in 2018, psychologists ran some investigative reports and they coined a term called the target effect. How many of you have heard of the target effect? It's real. You can go Google it. Okay. Here, here is what it says. On average, a person going into Target is going to spend an estimated $100 more than what they had planned to spend. That's on average, $100 more. Target has done an amazing job at creating a shopping experience. In fact, everything they do from the scent to the store, this is true, to the music that's played in certain locations, to the Starbucks that is strategically located at the entrance to the food court. And, and did you know that even Target has done so much research and they've designed oversized shopping carts that give the appearance that you have more room so it gets the shopper thinking they didn't get enough. I do this at whatever Whatever store. At Walmart, I can't walk into. I, 100, I usually go way over. Liz won't even give me the debit card when I walk into Walmart. She started ordering things online. I'm not even allowed to go into Walmart. Wally World's amazing. This, this is the other thing they'll do. They'll price things a certain way. So they'll price it at $11.98. And research shows that this actually works with people. They think they're getting a really good deal. 
Not only do they buy that, but they'll end up buying more. Then they have these rollbacks, and people go there for what? Well, to find a bargain. Bargain shopping is a real thing. Buy things they didn't know they needed, and they still don't need it, but the price was so good they couldn't pass it up. Now listen, for those of you who are like me and you're a bargain shopper, there's been all kinds of research done by marketing agencies to figure out how to reach you and pull you in. To suck you into the vortex of shopping for a good deal. And it's created a reinforced ideology that you need a bargain. You're always on the lookout for the best price. Now here's my question. What what would happen if us as believers in Jesus Christ took on that same approach to sharing our faith? I mean, I am an aggressive bargain shopper. What would happen if we, if we were that aggressive about looking for an opportunity to share our faith in Jesus Christ? Because that's what we're looking at today in Acts chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 11. Last time we were together, Peter and John, they were headed to prayer. And as they were on their way to pray, they, they go through their most prominent, well-traveled gate called Beautiful. Outside laid a man who had been placed there for over 40 years, never able to walk. He was there strategically because it was the best spot uh, to get some money so he could survive. And Peter and John walk by and we get this amazing story in our text. Peter kneels down with him. He gets eye level with this crippled man. And then Peter says, look, I got no money. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. One of the most powerful stories in in the Bible. And the man's ankles and his feet, they're restored. And together they walk into the temple for worship. What a sight that must have been. So now we're picking up today in verse 11. Before we do, let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Would you reveal your truth to us? Would the truth penetrate our hearts and penetrate our minds so that we would experience life transformation and walk out of these doors different? God, speak through me today. I pray that it would be you speaking and not me. I don't want to bring my opinions to this text, but we want, we want the meaning of the text, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that inspired Paul. We want that meaning. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 11, read with me. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though our own power or piety we have made him walk? So this this is an amazing miracle. It's just taken place. It's attracted the attention of all kinds of people. And remember, this man had been there for years. He was a common sight to those people that were there that day that Peter's preaching to now. Every day they saw this man. They saw this deformed condition of his feet. Now the feet are straight. Now the man's walking. He's leaping and praising the Lord. And he's hugging Peter and John so that people relate to the miracle that people are relating the miracle to Peter and John. He's probably hugging them because he's thinking, man, (laughs) in case this thing backfires, I know who to go to. I'm not letting them go. I don't know why he was hugging. Maybe he's just really appreciative. He's excited. Maybe he's nervous. He's walking for the first time. But all of a sudden, these people start to uh, connect Peter and John to the miracle, right? They're connecting the miracle to Peter and John. They're thinking that because of these men, because of Peter and John, this man can walk. And a huge crowd gathers, at least 5,000 men gather there on Solomon's porch. And they were thinking, man, what is this? What's going on? Peter starts his sermon with a question. Actually, it's really a dagger. Why do you wonder at this? Now, remember, we talked about the awe. Whenever the Holy Spirit moves, uh, the book of Acts will say things like, and awe came upon the disciples, or awe came upon all that were there. This is a little different. Peter's, Peter's kind of making an accusation here. 
Remember, Peter knows his crowd. He knows he's preaching to the to Jewish people here. He says, why are you, why are you, why do you wonder at this? Let me tell you why they wonder, because they had lost the sense of the greatness of the God that they served. They really believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the God should do such a thing, should not cause them to wonder, because they would know that he's the God of miracles by reading the Old Testament. The question is, why do you wonder at this? Now, other people may wonder at it. The Gentiles may marvel at it. But you are the sons of Israel. You're the sons of the Most High. Why do you wonder at this? And then he asks the second question, why do you stare at us? Why do you stare at us? Though by our own power or piety, we've made this man walk. You know what? People do this a lot. People will relate the work of God with the instrument through which God works. And I want to tell you something. This is wrong. Peter's really quick to address this. Why do you stare at us? Do you actually think we did this on our own power or holiness? Because here's the sad truth. Too many ministers today try to, try to give off this feeling that it's a result of their effort. That they walk in such a way that their righteousness or their holiness, that's what's getting the job done. And I grow tired of that. I do, I grow weary of this. So many times it's about the tool that God decides to use and not about God. Honestly, I... I'm always a little leery when a person names buildings or universities or evangelistic associations, ministries after their own name. It always, always makes me a little leery. Let me, let me just throw this out there for the church. I have no plans unless God, he would have to really call me somewhere else. I have no plans on going anywhere else. This is the church I'm gonna give my life to. I wanna give the majority of my life to this church and this community, this state here in Cincinnati and Ohio. But uh, you clap now. <laughs> Let me say something. If anybody dare puts my name on any kind of building as a memorial, I'm going to resurrect, come out of the grave, and come take it off. You hear me? <laughs> I'm going to ask the Lord to send an earthquake to shake it down. I love the quote from Nikolaus von Zindendorf. He says, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That actually falls in line with the words of John the Baptist in John 3.30 when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, glory is reserved for God alone. Our faithfulness should mirror his faithfulness. It shouldn't be the mountain that everybody gazes at in awe and wonder. Okay? When I die, I want Jesus to remember. That's why I do what I do. We want Jesus to receive all the glory that he deserves. That's why you do what you do. We don't, want, we don't want to be remembered and glorified and memorialized. We want Jesus to be glorified. That's what we want. And, and here is Peter, and he is, it's the first thing he addresses. Why do you stare at me? This ain't me who's doing this. Okay, now in verse 13, Peter stands up, and he, he, he preaches, and he teaches here. And guess what? People need Bible preaching and teaching. They need it to make sense of their experience. We are a Pentecostal church, so I'm gonna lay this down thick. Are you ready, okay? The people in our text, they just had this incredible experience. They've literally witnessed a man who experienced a miracle. But the question is, who healed him? Why was he healed? What does this mean? Those are the kind of questions that ensue. And so it's for you and me, and some would wrongly say that we don't need teaching. I keep hearing this over and over in, in different circles. We don't, we don't need teaching. We, more, we need more experience. 
We need, we need more experience. We don't need an education about God. We need an experience of God. I even remember when I was a youth pastor, this is something I would get all the time. They loved experiences. You go to a youth convention and it's this amazing experience. They come back to the church and they would tell me in youth night, we, we don't need more teaching. We just need, we don't need education. We don't need uh, correction. We just need more of an experience. Here's what I'm gonna say. We need both. We need both. God is the living God. We need to experience him. I full-heartedly agree. We need those experiences, those encounters with the Holy Spirit. But even if and when we do experience him, we, we do not understand him unless we have an education regarding him. So let's say, for example, right now, somebody's battling an illness. Somebody's, somebody, maybe, maybe some sort of cancer, and you're going to try and, to interpret your experience through the circumstances of your life. This is our human nature. This is what we do. We use our life and our own circumstances and our own situations, and we try to interpret uh, our experience through that circumstance. That's why pastors get questions like this all the time. Is God punishing me? Am I reaping what I've sown? Why am I suffering? Here's what biblical knowledge does, okay? It brings clarity to life. In other words, it makes sense of our experience. So experience alone, it doesn't give us an understanding. It only gives us some insight, but it doesn't give us an understanding regarding that insight. This is important stuff, okay? Hang with me. So in our text today, these people, they've just experienced a miracle it was, it was an amazing experience. They have the experience. And so Peter stands up and he begins to preach and teach the Bible. And he does it to explain what happened and to make sense of their experience. It's pretty powerful. Well, let me bring this home to you this morning. Experiences are good. I want all of us to have spiritual experiences. I, I pray for spiritual encounters with the living God. We have specifically shortened our service so that we can have altar time at the end where, where we have more worship and more give you guys an, an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing. I'm Pentecostal. I desire for every single person in here to have a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. However, we can't just receive experiences. We have to then go to the Bible to make sense of our experience, to interpret it in light of God's revelation. Please get this. Okay, and another thing happening here in verse 13 is Peter all of a sudden is being bold. Okay, if you've been following with us, Peter has gone from a coward to courageous. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and me. He wants to empower you and me to be courageous for Jesus. Look at what Peter says here. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. Pause for a minute. The whole, that's, that's a really interesting term that Peter uses here. Because what Peter's doing is he just exalted Jesus as God. In fact, the term holy ones used more than 40 times in the Old Testament, and it's used as this high and really glorious title for Yahweh. So that, that's the covenant God of Israel. That's what Peter just did by, by calling Jesus the holy one. He said, Jesus is God. All right? All right, go back. Verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. He stands up and he proclaims the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. He says, you killed Jesus. You handed him over. You preferred the murderer. He gets real personal. He keeps using the word you. In fact, four different times he's used the word you. 
And know this, doesn't mean that you need to understand what Peter's not saying that, that the Jewish people of that day alone were responsible for the death of Jesus. That's not what he's saying. The Romans, Gentiles, they were also responsible. In fact, the Romans would not have crucified Jesus without pressure from the Jewish leaders, and the Jews could not have crucified Jesus without Roman acceptance of it. God made certain that, that both Jew and Gentile shared in the guilt of Jesus' death. In fact, really, it, wasn't a, it, it was not political intrigue or circumstances that put Jesus on the cross. Hear me out, it was our sin. Okay, if you want to know who put Jesus on the cross, look at me. Look in, look in the mirror. It's who put Jesus. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. I love this quote by G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, he says that the miracle of the speech of Peter is a far more wonderful one than the miracle wrought in the healing of man who lay at the beautiful gate. I couldn't agree with him more. The changed life, the change in Peter's life is such a miracle that, that some believe it's more a miracle than God healing the lame man. The fact that he could take this coward and make him courageous. All of a sudden, Peter is preaching a message that he, that he thinks his audience, he knows his audience doesn't want to hear and he's not concerned what they think. All week long, listen to me, all week long, you guys get content that comes, to come, comes at you from an array of different voices. Okay, world leaders, political pundits, novelists, sportscasters, journalists, TV shows, celebrities, YouTube celebrities, everyone, everyone has something to say. But when you come to New Heights Church, any preacher that takes this pulpit is going to stand up with an ancient book to deliver a message designed to cut through a noisy world of constant chatter. You heard what everybody else has to say all week long. We won't waste your time at New Heights Church. When you come here, you're going to listen to what God says. We're going to be faithful and true to God's word. That's what Peter's doing here. He's being pretty courageous. He's calling murderers to repent of their murder, knowing full well that if they don't, the odds are they're probably going to murder him. And here's our prayer at New Heights Church. That New Heights Church is full of people who do this, who preach God's word when that opportunity arises. At the restaurant, the workplace, the grocery store. Some of you say, well, I, I can't do that. Sure you can. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift for everyone. It's going to make you bold. So Peter gets up. He has this amazing sermon. He and I want to highlight some of these amazing facts he says regarding Jesus. Look at verse 16. And his name, by faith in his name, he made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. I want you to know the preposition there. <laughs> Peter isn't saying it was my great faith. He's saying, by faith in his name. My favorite verse of this entire passage. It wasn't the lame man's faith. It was Peter's faith, but even Peter doesn't take credit for it. <laughs> he didn't say, yeah, I've become a great man of faith. It's my awesome faith that's done this. He says, I can't even take credit for the faith. God gave me the gift of faith to be able to see this miracle done. So it's by the name of Jesus. It's in his power. And even the faith that I exhibited was a gift that God has given. Through faith, in his name. When God's people really do good things in the world, they do it through the faith in his name. Now there's always gonna be the temptation. Listen, there's always gonna be the temptation to do things trusting in some, something or someone else. Right? To trust in good intentions. Don't put your faith in someone's good intentions. Don't do it. To trust in talents and gifts. Don't put your faith in somebody's abilities. To trust in material resources. Money won't take us where we, we really want to go. To trust in reputation or maybe previous success. To trust in hard work or smart work. 
Instead, we, we need to always, always trust in and do good through faith in his name, in his name. Okay, verse 17, and now brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. Peter gets more personal here. And talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, he said, I know that you acted in ignorance. Some of you say, how did Peter know that? Well, Jesus said it when he was nailed to the cross in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Okay, so I know in ignorance you did it. You, you didn't know what you were doing. Jesus said that. But he also points out another interesting thing. In a little bit, we're going to read that 5,000 of them were converted. 5,000 of those who were guilty of crucifying Jesus but didn't know what they were doing are now being brought to Jesus Christ to trust him as their Lord and Savior. It's pretty neat to see the prayer that Jesus offered on the cross be answered here in this text, right? His prayer was answered this day when Peter said to those people, I know you acted in ignorance. Ignorance is no excuse, by the way, but repentance is needed. But verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter's saying that this was no accident. This is powerful here. This was no accident. What happened in the crucifixion of Jesus was something that God had planned, was actually predicted in in the scriptures. The suffering of the Messiah, spoken of by the prophets. And, And Peter gets, then he gets to the application and notice the word thus. You see that? Thus. It says, he thus fulfilled. It was through the ignorance of rebellious people. The highlight of the glory of God in those two verses is that the people who were handing Jesus over, mocking him, scourging him, nailing him, and killing him were not in sync with God whatsoever. They weren't intentionally obeying God. (laughs) They were against Jesus and against God. But the amazing thing is that it says that during all of this, God was doing what God does and fulfilling what had been prophesied about the suffering of the Messiah in spite of and even through the ignorance of these people. That's powerful. Because as I look around America today, my heart wants to sink. It does. It wants to sink again and again and again at the godlessness of our land. I won't get political here, I promise. I'm going to get spiritual. God is banished from school. He's banished from the marketplace. He's banished from educational institutions at higher levels. He's banished from the media. He's gone. He's gone. There's no questioning it. Rebellion exists in our country, and and you just see this rage and hate against God. It's real. Ignorance is flourishing underneath the relativism and the materialism of America. And honestly, sometimes I think, how in the world is God ever going to fix this? How can he do this? How is he going to accomplish his will? Especially when there's so much opposition, there's so much hate, there's so much ignorance. But this verse encourages me. With all that we see in our world today, I have to be... I have to remember that it isn't any worse than people crucifying Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God will accomplish his purpose even in the midst of all the ignorance, all the craziness that's going on around us. God fulfilled everything he promised and planned, and he did it through the opposition of ignorant people when they killed Jesus. So guess what? He can fulfill his purpose today. No matter what kind of opposition, no matter what kind of ignorance we see in our society today, God is going to accomplish his purpose And I'm going to praise God. Here's why I'm going to praise God, because he reigns. Verse 19, it says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That's an important term right there. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. One characteristic of the kingdom that God is going to build is that Jesus is going to be there as the king. 
It says, he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth, erect his throne, and rule his kingdom. And I believe that my own refreshment and yours is going to come from looking into the face of Jesus again and again and again and again. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. That is why, by the way, Jesus fulfilled all those promises that's talking about in this verse about the suffering Messiah. It was so that the suffering could become our suffering, that he could bear our sin and take our guilt. And Christ did it for everybody and anybody in this room who turns to and trusts Jesus. That's what repentance is, by the way. Turning from sin, focusing on God, receiving the gift of salvation through the, co- Christ, through the cross, excuse me, and honoring Jesus Christ with your life. That's repentance. It says, all that your sins may be blotted out. Man, that, that's a beautiful term right there. The word blotted out, it's, it's precious, it's beautiful. It's used, for example, in Revelation 21.4 where it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God is in the business of wiping away sin to prepare people for the wiping away of tears in the age to come. You know what Peter's saying here is he says that the healing of this one man's leg is foreshadowing of the coming restoration of all things that God has promised. Jesus' miracles, and listen to me, and the apostles' miracles, and, and when you see miracles today, they're not supposed to be some magic show about how powerful God is. God could have done that. He could go, Jesus could have gone and been lifted heavy rocks. He could have wrote his name in the sky. He could have done all kinds of things to show how powerful he was. Every miracle that Jesus and his apostles performed alleviated suffering and pointed forward to a saving purpose. It's what every miracle in the New Testament pointed towards. So listen, this miracle pointed to the fact that we, we need salvation. It points inward to our desperate need for salvation. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. He's talking about Jesus here, by the way. Some, th- some thought that the prophet would be someone different than the Messiah. Peter makes it really clear. They're both one and the same. Verse 23, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Listen, you've got an opinion about Jesus. God has an opinion of him too. His opinion is verified through miracles and the resurrection. So God declared him to be the Lord and the only way of salvation given under heaven. My question for you today is, are you listening to him? Are you listening to the words of Jesus? Verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. All of this here simply, simply put means God has kept his promises that he has made through all the Old Testament prophecies. Those, they spoke of these days. They spoke of the Messiah and he came. Look with me at the last two verses. Verse 25 and 26, it says, You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's why Paul, when talking about the gospel, he could say this in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. See, the gospel came to the Jew first. You shall, you shall bear witness on, on me both in Jerusalem and all Judea to the Jew first and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And when the Jew rejected the gospel, Paul turned and said in Acts 18.6, he says, and when they opposed and reviled him, he, 
He shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul's saying, since you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, I'm going to the Gentiles. And the door was opened to us who sat in the darkness to come into this glorious light of God's love and his truth. And as we close this chapter, I want you to listen to that promise. God sent Jesus Christ to turn people away from their sins, to save people from their sins. God spoke through Moses, God spoke through the prophets, but God has finally spoken through Jesus, his Messiah, the Lord, the Lord whom the Lord spoke about, the prophet that Moses predicted. In Hebrews chapter one, and I'll close with this. It says, well, I might close with a story. Hebrews chapter one, verse one through, one through two says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days he has spoken to us by his son. The New Living Translation says he has spoken to us through his son. That verb, God has spoken to us by his son, it's active and it's indicative. It's once and for all, it's done. God spoke in times past. God has once and for all spoken through his son, Jesus. In other words, when it comes to salvation, God has nothing more to say. Jesus is the final word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God's final word on salvation. And I hope, I hope Jesus is the final word in your life. Okay? I hope that you've repented of your sins and you've turned to Jesus and you've received him as your savior. I hope that you're not trusting in religion. I hope you're not trusting in your works. I hope you're not trusting in the upbringing that your parents passed on to you, but you're trusting in the person of Jesus and the personal work of Jesus for you. I hope that. And, and here's the thing, of all of this, this is, this is what this tells us. Number one, faith's not meant to be, pub, it's meant to be public, not private. Your faith is not a private matter. It's meant to be public. Number two, you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. You need to know your word. You need to have your word memorized because the Holy Spirit wants to use you. He's gonna give you open doors. He, he wants to use you. You need to be prepared. Number three, the Holy Spirit will empower you. He will empower you. This was Peter. He'd gone from coward to courageous. He's publicly preaching about Jesus at the temple to people who absolutely did not agree with him. I mean, some of these guys were the ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That takes some guts. Remember, Peter, Peter we read about in the Gospels, he's not a guy who, who we'd probably classify as someone who has a lot of courage. He just isn't. But look at him here. And I believe that our culture today, it's becoming more and more hostile. It's more like the days of Peter. And the Holy Spirit's going to need to empower us to talk about Jesus. And some of you say, that's right. And as soon as I feel that courage, then I'll speak. Well, here's the truth. Speak and then the courage comes. Give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to come upon you. The courage comes as you speak, not before, right? Because it's by faith. I'm going to talk about Jesus now. Now, I'll end with this story. Because we often forget this. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And the power is often in the seed. We forget that. We think the power lies within us. If we learn anything from the story, Peter makes it very clear that this miracle had nothing to do with him. You know, my great-grandmother was one of the first missionaries with the Assemblies of God to the country of China. And I've told you their story. They went. It was during World War II. They didn't get out of the country in time. They were put in concentration camp. When they came back, my great-grandfather's health was so bad from that year in the concentration camp that he died not much long after that. And 
after he passed away, she went back as an Assemblies of God World missionary to Asia, and she continued to minister uh, for the Lord. And there was, there was a time, and we, we have the, the medical history, we, we have the document, we have all of it, and the Assemblies of God wrote a book, or actually my aunt, my great aunt Connie wrote the book, but it's called Letta in China, and it tells the story. When she was in Hawaii, she was in the hospital, and she was pronounced dead. Her heart stopped. And I'm not going to get into the theology of was she really in heaven? Was she having a dream? I, I don't care. All I care about is what she walked away from was a biblical truth. And so that's what I'll focus on, whether it was a dream or whether she really was in heaven in the presence of Jesus. I don't care about that stuff. What I do care about, of course, is I would hear this story as a kid growing up over and over and over. And I remember the story would be that when she realized where she was, she was thrilled and excited and so happy. And she went to this place where she heard them worshiping and praising. And Jesus came and he was holding a farmer's sack over his shoulder. And she came up and she praised Jesus and she worshiped Jesus. And, and then he pulled out a ruler and he said, you've lived this much of your life. I have this much left for you. And she breaks down. I want to go back. Please don't send me back. I can't go back. I need to be here. I want to be here. I'm old and I'm feeble. And her hands were shaking at the time. I think she was in her 70s or 80s. I can't remember. But she, she reaches out her hand and she says, I'm too old. My hands can't do anything. And Jesus grabs her hand and he takes the seed from the farmer's sack and he pours the seed in her hand. And then he he holds her hand like this and he says, Letta, the power is not in the hand. The power is in the seed. Now, my grandma, great-grandma's heartbeat kicked back again and she, she came back. They revived her and she lived. I don't know how many years she lived after that, but I know she went on and planted more churches and did more ministry after that. My, my great-grandma passed that on to my grandparents. My grandparents passed it on to my parents, and I'm going to pass it on to my kids. The power is not in the hand. The power is in the seed. Now, we learn right here. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith is not meant to be private. It's meant to be public. You need to be prepared, and the Holy Spirit will empower you. And there's some people in this church, I think last week, we're piggybacking off what would happen what happened last week. I think that's, that's uh, God was trying to say, I'm about to do something at New Heights Church and in this community and around the world, and, and he wants to use you. He wants to use you. You're who he wants to use. If we're gonna see the Holy Spirit move, then he needs to move through the lives and the people that call this their church, who call Jesus their savior. So here's what I wanna do. We're gonna close in prayer. I've got three minutes left. That's a miracle. We're gonna close in prayer. The worship team's gonna come back up. My prayer team's gonna come forward and I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you. If you've been saying, man, I don't know what, I can't, I just don't have the boldness. You need to come up and this isn't, I'm gonna just, you can come up and pray for whatever you need. Because I don't know, maybe you've been a believer all your life and you're in a bad place right now. And, you, and I would, I would it, maybe it's because you are not connecting to God's plan for your life. You know, you could be a Christian, you can make it to heaven and you still miss out on God's plan for your, your life here on earth. And there's nothing better. There's no better place. I didn't say safe. I said there's no better place to be than in the will of God. Fulfilling his will, his purpose for your life. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God wants to send his Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you and he wants to put you on mission. And when you're doing that, you're gonna see things like Peter saw. You're gonna see how the Holy Spirit moves, how the Holy Spirit orchestrates things. And all of a sudden, you're gonna start seeing coworkers come to Jesus. You're gonna start seeing the Holy Spirit move and work in your marriage. You're gonna see people delivered from addictions. You're gonna see people delivered 
delivered from strongholds, you're going to see the Holy Spirit start to move. So I want to call anybody up to the altar today who just wants to see a genuine move of the Holy Spirit. And you could say, I want to be a part of it. And then we're going to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Amen. Father, we love you and we praise you and we worship you. We thank you for last week and all the salvations we saw, the water baptisms. God, this a sign of you're doing something here in New Heights. You're bringing new life to New Heights and we rejoice for it, God. And we wanna be a part of your plan going forward. And so I pray right now that everyone who comes to the altar today at the end of this prayer, who wants to receive the Holy Spirit would receive the Holy Spirit. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can go out of here and be effective witnesses for you. Use us, God, open doorways. I pray that our faith would not be private. I pray that we would be prepared and I pray the Holy Spirit would empower us. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen.